Good morning, everyone. This is the Wake Forest student-run podcast, Values and Ventures, where our goal is to make you a better leader than you were yesterday. With intelligent and unique guests, we aim to make substantial impacts on people each and every day. Today, our guest is Jed King, CEO of Sales Factory. Here to host this podcast is Jake Goldberg, Chris Rohoftig, and Lane Morris, and we're currently seniors at Wake Forest University. advertising agency. Um, we work primarily in durable goods. Um, our center of our bullseye is home, home space. Um, we go outside of that to sporting goods and even grocery. Um, we do other things for local and uh, companies within the state of North Carolina just because uh, people ask us to, so we help them. Um, and then my role is CEO of the company, which I've been in running the company for about 20 years. And so going off that, can you talk about any mentors or role models you had when you first became an entrepreneur and kind of how they, you kind of attribute some of your success to them? Um, that's a great question. So um, probably my first mentor and role model was my dad. Um, in fact, somebody's giving me a hard time for wearing a brown shirt today. I wore a brown shirt today because my dad loved to wear brown shirts. So um, um the uh, my dad also had blonde hair and blue eyes and and light colored skin and so that person also said yeah but you don't look Irish and you look like one color so uh, <laughs> but anyway um, so my dad my dad uh, grew up poor he never had a bedroom he lived on his couch um, you know he um, um, you know he, he grew up in an Irish family it was rough uh, he got he he was a got scholarship offers as a swimmer he was the uh, fastest uh, sprinter in the state of New York. And, uh, but he didn't graduate on time from high school. Uh, but still, it was monumental because he did eventually graduate from high school and he was the first person in his family to do that. Um, his sisters uh, got married at 15, just to give you some, some content, some little bit of difference in what their family was like. So along the way, uh, my mom and dad were dating in, in high school. And then my mom went off to college to be a teacher. Um, and then she came back and they, and they dated, they ended up together and they were from very different worlds. And, um, so my dad was a mailboy at Seagram's distilling, which headquarters is one of the bigger buildings in Manhattan. And his claim to fame was he could deliver two uh, floors of mail for every one floor of anyone else. Um, and my dad, that was my dad's personality. He was, uh, he was, you know, he didn't do anything halfway. He did it all the way. Uh, he drank three pots of coffee a day, for example. Um, so, uh, so, uh, anyway, um, he got promoted to the art department at Seagram's and he, he, you know, had no, um, you know, he had no resume, but he just could draw and they would see him drawing on break. And so they, back then there were no computers and, um, you see this here. So that's a scotch label. <clears throat> and, um, they used to, in that art department, there would be like a hundred dudes at easels. Um, if they wanted to mock up a label, those guys would draw the label with pen and ink. And that's a label my dad drew in that art department. Um, and so um, so he, he was making his way. And then his brother-in-law hired him at Black & Decker. And, and he was a merchandiser where he would go around little stores in Manhattan. And he would dust the shelves and make sure the boxes were square. Fast forward um, 10 years. He's VP of marketing at Black & Decker. We now live in, in Baltimore. He, he just flew his way through. The organization because the same thing he just killed himself to, and worked harder than anybody else uh what i'm not sure he 100 knew is he was very smart very bright um intellectually um so um 
He was also um, this really tough guy and uh, he was very strong, um, always had, like I remember when uh, Muhammad Ali was fighting, uh, his, his bicep was 16 and a half. And so was my dad's, my dad would measure it and show me. Right. And you can see my arms. I did not get his arms. Uh, so, uh, so he was this, and he was also flawed. So he, he became a recovering alcoholic and went to AA for a long time. And, um, he used to take me, he, he did a lot of things with me. He would take me to New York to film TV commercials when he was at Black and Decker. Um, he would take me to work, uh, when he started our company all the time. Um, he would also take me to AA with him and he would take me to his therapist with him. And so he, he just showed all sides of himself to me. And, um, so he had this vulnerability, at least with me. And, um, and he, he probably taught me as much about the basics of marketing that anyone did, which was, um, you know, just pay attention to customers and give them what they want, you know, or even better than what they want. And so, so, you know, walking in stores and doing that kind of stuff, um, you know, that, that's a thing that I learned from him. Yeah, yeah. that's a great story. Um, what would you say um, out of character values, which ones would you consider to be the most important um, for an entrepreneur to be successful? Um, so, so we have, um, we, 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 we have love to learn, love to win as a mantra here. And I think, um, I think that sums up my, my parents. My mom was a school teacher also. So, um, but my dad liked to learn too, but my dad was all about when he was, win I mean, uh, we had, uh, our next door neighbor growing up was, you know, when we were, when I was a little kid, he was the kicker for William and Mary's football team. And when he was in college, my dad would outkick him. Right. He would he would sit there and go and go and go. That's the way this guy was. He was just intense. He was also like uh, could be extremely charming, like people loved my dad. Um, so that intensity didn't get in the way of his personal relationships. I mean, it did sometimes, but not you know, he wasn't like flat out crazy. Um, so I think that, you know, um, you know, I think there's I think there's base. And, and another thing that comes from him is is basic right and wrong. You, you can't do well at anything if people don't trust you. So being respectful and, and, and demonstrating integrity um, is important. And, and to him, um, and, and it's the same way with me and, and my family also, um, to a fault, you know, we're not gonna bend the rules um, to get a little advantage. You know, we're gonna be straight. Um, probably my daughter exhibits that the most. Um, she's very much that way, but all of us have that. And that came from, from my dad really thinking that's important. So you have boring things like integrity and respect. Um, and then you have these other things that are, you know, really on my side, the reason I teach is, you know, learning to me is the most important thing. If you can outlearn somebody and then, and then do something about what you've learned, then you can always win. So that's why I love, love to learn, love to win. It's just, to me, it's, it's, it summarizes all of it, assuming you're being a nice person. So. Yeah. Do you think that's helped um, love to learn, love to win, making kind of like a community of teachers help promote like a healthy company culture? Oh, I think that's the start. Um, you know, the, um, the, you know, one of the things, and, and you've worked on our company. So one of the things that's challenging is um, old people can be scary, right? So uh, if somebody has to come in front of a review of our leadership team, the, you know, the 20 somethings that are, you know, a couple years older than you guys, um, they, they want to be so perfect and they want to be, they, they, they sometimes in the, to, to be perfect, they're not taking risks. And that's, that's, 
That's a, that's, that's a bad, bad thing, right? I want people to take risks. I want people to push the edges. If, if people are, um, if people make mistakes because they're trying, that's, that's, that's good, right? So one of the concerns I have in our business as we grow is we're getting to be too buttoned up. And so I want to, I'm, I'm actually, we had a meeting on that yesterday. I want to talk about that. Um, another concern, you didn't actually ask me concerns, but I'll kind of answer your question with concerns is as we get bigger and we put procedures in place, we become more bureaucratic and slower. Mm-hmm. And so um, back when I was poor, uh, we were really, we were really fast, right? And we walked through walls for people and we made tons of mistakes. Um, now, now we're on the other end of the spectrum where we don't make mistakes, but we're slow. So I want to try to somewhat bring us back a tiny bit to be a little more go. Um, so the way you do that is you make all the people in the organization, no matter what rank they are or how old they are, feel like they can express themselves and take chances. And I don't know if we have that quite yet. So, um, so we have work to do on that. Yeah. Can you give one example um, of a time that someone took a risk and it didn't work out, but you were still impressed by it? Um, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the opposite then. Okay. The, um, <clears throat> we work for channel lock and, um, one of the writers came in with their, well, when they came in with a great tagline and then legal said, you can't say that, which co- happens a lot. So they went away and worked on it really, really hard. And they came in with a new tagline and they pitched it to me and I didn't like it. Um, I, I, there's another time, same, same client. Cause you, it just made me think of it. Uh, they came and pitched me a bunch of advertising I didn't like. And um, I green-lighted both because I asked them this question. Do you believe in this work? Yes, I do. Do you think it will sell pliers? Yes, it will. Um, Then try it. So they tried it and they measured it. And then they came back and proved me wrong with data, right? So that's that's when it works right. That's what, you know, when somebody says, boss, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an old man. Let's go. Um, So, um, but there's... I don't, it's hard for me to know when I don't get that because I don't see it, right? Because it never gets to me, so. Awesome. Um, and so in class, we kind of talked about five major character values uh, in entrepreneurship. We talked about courage, honesty, humility, resilience, and hope. And which one of these would you attribute most to your success and like how you had to adjust your business model during the COVID-19 pandemic? Which one of these character values would you say is most um, important in terms of having for an entrepreneur? So I have, I'll, I'll, I'll read you our values in a minute. Um, and, but, but to me, the two you said that, man, that mattered the most was courage and resilience during the pandemic. Um, and I'll, I'll explain, I'll give you two examples, courage. Um, so, and I've, you've heard me tell the story before. So pandemic hits, I'm at the ACC basketball tournament, NC state's playing really good basketball and we're feeling like we got a shot. Boom. It's over. Right. So, um, we, we leave the tournament, we go home, NBA cancels, Tom Hanks gets COVID. It's like, Oh my God, what's happening. Um, the next week, you know, we don't go to the office, we go to our houses, you know, none of our video stuff's working. It's all like a mess. And so we're working through how we're going to handle things. And, um, and we decide as a team, we're not going to make any decisions for 30 days. Right. And that, and that was because we needed to get some space and figure, figure out what was going. That was very courageous because by the end of the first week, we were already down 25% in sales. And the second week we were down 50% in sales. We stuck to our guns. 
Um, and then um, come the 1st of April, the government's PPP program came out and, um, and we, we got it. I, we got it before anybody I know, and that's not my credit, that's my CFO's credit. Um, and then we knew we could survive through the end of June, right? Because we had that government money. So then we said, okay, no, no changes till the end of June. All right, so, so that, that's an example of uh, courage because we had no idea what was gonna happen. We didn't know if we were all gonna be dead or if you know, advertising was gonna end or you know, who, what, what was gonna happen. Now, sitting back today and looking there, you know, our business was set to be successful because we knew how to do e-commerce, right? But that's hindsight. Foresight, we didn't quite have that. So, um, so I think that describes courage the most. Resilience is more about what do you do when the world changes on you, to me at least. And, um, and the thing we did that was most resilient is we started our weekly study. And um, we started that study uh, after the first week of being in lockdown. And we decided what we were gonna do is two things. We were gonna use that study to help our friends and, and, and anyone who needed it so they could understand consumer behavior and adjust their business better. And then number two, we're gonna help our clients with crisis communication for free. And we did both of those things. And both of those things were our way of um, just doing something, right? You know, what could we do as an organization? And, and I talked about my dad, but I'll give credit to my mother. After uh, September 11th, we started uh, what we call our create-a-thon. And that was, that was because she said, let's do something that demonstrates why Americans are good to the world in our own little way. Back then we were seven people. Um, and that's, you know, we started that. Now, now we can do... Oh gosh, probably seventy-five to one hundred projects per Creatathon for nonprofits for free. So, um, so those are both examples of resilience. So I think those two work. Yeah. Do you think that your parents helped um, helped inspire you to get involved with um, showing that Americans can do good even in their like own little ways? Or would you say it's like something else, maybe school or? So, so two major political influences on me and, and, and I say political mom and dad, um, but also my school, so NC State. So my mom and dad are from New York. They're both from immigrant families. They're all, all my grandfathers were in unions. My parents were in unions. I was in a union. Um, so we had this very um, liberal view. So when I, when I got to college, my view of the world was, um, you know, you, the government should help the people and blah, blah, blah. Well, then I get to college and NC State at the time, being a tech and ag school, um, was very conservative. So I doubled in engineering and economics and I got a massive dose of conservative economics. And um, <clears throat> in my math brain that my parents gave me, um, it worked. And I liked it and I thought it made more sense than what my parents were talking about. And at the time, Ronald Reagan was president and they were talking about trickle down economics. And the idea of trickle down economics uh, was when when the wealthy and the corporations made more money, they employed more people. And that was good for the economy. <clears throat> and there was math behind that. and They could prove it. It's been disproved since. But um, but to me at that time, that made sense. So so in both cases, I got different views of America, immigrants working really hard helping each other get by. And then this whole other side of is entrepreneurs and business can save the, the country. So both of those were my views of America and I still have kind of a, a mismatch kind of disaster point of view of both. Um, and then the other part I would say is um, traveling with my family, my kids. My kids have both been to probably 15 countries. And then um, 
and then seeing how people treat us being Americans. They can spot Americans from like a thousand yards. If you guys have been overseas, you've experienced that. And then, and then, then you probably have also experienced people going, my gosh, you're awful nice for being American. Right. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I'm glad they think we're nice. I don't like the fact they think we're nice for Americans. So we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so kind of our last question for you is since this, this uh, podcast we're creating is created for uh, like future entrepreneur students, if you could give one piece of advice to aspiring entrepreneurs, what would it be? So um, <clears throat> I think you can do anything you set your mind to. So my father proved that, right? And, and then my way, which was a much softer way because my parents made sure I was educated and so forth. I came out of school as an engineer I wanted to be in marketing. I always wanted to be in marketing because I really wanted to just be my dad. And um, <clears throat> so I went to work for a strange little startup that was pretty small and they were stamping, they were making metal parts out of steel. And the, the founder had the idea that you can make those parts into swing set assembly parts. And he was going to put it in a box with a plan and we would go sell it to lumber yards and you could build your own swing set in your backyard. Um, we ended up going public. That company, you know, we took it public. I, I was the top marketing guy. I ran marketing. I had half the country in sales. I was 23 years old, had 50, 60, 70 people working for me. Um, that, that experience alone showed me that, you know, not even my own self, but the guy that I worked for is in his early 30s, that anybody could do anything. You know, if you take a good idea and you work hard and you execute, you can make anything out of anything you want to. So the guy I worked for made, um, I think he exited with $60 million at 36 years old yeah. uh, back in 1993. So I don't know what that's worth in today's dollars, but it's probably well north of 100. And um, so I think that's it. You know, put your mind to something and do it. Sometimes it takes more than one try also. Um, and uh, one of my cousins, who's a very successful uh, Silicon Valley guy, he says, um, he likes, he only hires senior leaders that have failed because knowing failure is an important component and um, learning how to win. So I think that's okay to accept failures and, 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 and then move on and go to the next thing. So that's back to your resilience thing. So, so I think, you know, courage to try things and resilience. I like both of those. We believe that this podcast has the potential to make a change in people's lives and an impact on the world. Our mission is to help people with disabilities and special needs feel more recognized within society. We resonate with the mission of Moji Coffee in downtown Winston-Salem, a business that employs individuals with disabilities, or as they say, with different abilities. Please join us in empowering and celebrating these individuals by grabbing a coffee and spreading smiles at Moji. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Values and Ventures. Don't forget, we can change the world and make a difference today by empowering those around us. See you next time.